Let's take a moment, if you would, to respond personally to what we saw in God's Word and what we just sang in that song. Take a moment to consider where do you need to find refuge in God right now? And do so in your heart. Communicate your trust to Him. And be still. Cease striving. And know that He is God. He is with you and desires to meet you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this inspired prayer. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Help us to not fear, come what may but instead in our hearts and our minds to, as it were, be still, to cease striving and to know, to constantly realize you are God. You will be exalted among the nations and in the earth, and you are with us. We pray, we pray for those who are mourning around the world in light of the pandemic, in light of half a million lives lost in this country to COVID, and even in light of the recent shootings in Atlanta, and certainly that happen daily across our country and around the world, we pray those who are grieving today would find refuge in you, and comfort in you, and help in you. And I pray everyone here who is hurting, everyone here who is grieving, everyone here who is tempted to anxiety in this moment, they too would experience your comfort and your rest in their souls. Meet us, we ask you, in the rest of our time. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And please be seated and welcome. And if you are a guest here today, we say especially a welcome to you. Thank you for joining us here in Harry Griffin Park. We're so glad you would join us here this morning. Every month, once a month, we try to take a, a little bit of time in our service to remind you and update you about one way in which we are seeking to engage with God in the outward mission of the gospel. Gospel just means good news the outward mission of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we talk about missionaries we support and other ministries. And my good friend Jerry is here to update us on one of the missionaries we support. So please welcome Jerry as he comes. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Well, I talked to you this morning about Jasmine, an amazing young woman who lives among the Tarahumara, um, the largest unreached people group in the Americas. Um, she, many of them 
live in small villages in the mountains of Chihuahua, Mexico. Jasmine lives most of the time in one of the small villages, but vi visits some of the other villages. Um, I get her updates on a regular basis, and they're always so encouraging. Um, if, you, if you don't get them and would like to, please just let me know. Give me an email address, and I'll try to get you on her list. But um, <clears throat> she recently wrote, and she's written in the past, that springtime is the time when lots of children are born in the Tarahumara. And if you can imagine what it's like for children to be being born in the mountains where there's no clinics or other things. And she gives an example of one young 15-year-old mother who experienced preeclampsia. I'm saying that wrong, but she had to go to a hospital, was put in a coma, induced coma, so she could survive. And she and the ch child did survive. But these hospital uh, visits often give Jasmine an, an opportunity to visit. And she writes this. She says, as a missionary of all... Uh, no, I'm sorry. I thank, I thank God because of these opportunities that draw us to the heart of the community and allow us to reflect the love of our Father, even though these experiences are painful. But they... But but they also give Jasmine an opportunity to to reach out and to connect with the community, and I just I just love the way she works that and allows and, and uses that as an opportunity to express God's love. Another way that she does that is with a lot of the young children in the community, especially during this time. She said this year was perhaps the worst drought that she has experienced since living in the Tarahumaras. And so there are, malnutrition is a huge issue among children in the community. And Jasmine has gotten to be involved in a government program that provides fortified milk. And so she distributes it to people in the community and she gets to go and visit, get to know them. And, um, it's been a government program that the, the fortified milk has been supplied for free over the last several years, but this year the program stopped. And uh, she was perhaps at first somewhat disappointed, but she was able through, um, through contributions to still provide the milk. And I just love the way that she... That she um, she responded to it. She says, as a missionary, I've always tasted the grace of God. There are many prayers that I've put before God, expecting the response through certain ways of grace, but without the result that I expected. Nevertheless, God has allowed me to see and live his grace in unexpected ways. And so Jasmine isn't surprised when one thing stops and something else uh, takes its place. And I, I know I've talked to some of you who uh, provided some additional support for Jasmine at the end of the year, and you were an answer to her prayers to be able to provide the fortified milk for malnourished kids in this community. And I just, I just love that. The final thing she writes about is a young girl, Lolita, a 13-year-old who loves to come and hang out with Jasmine in her little learning center where she teaches young kids, tries to teach them how to read and write, 
And Lolita loves to help her. She loves to teach the children and interact with them. And Jasmine describes Lolita as the one who perhaps she will pass the baton to. As a missionary, we're always looking for that indigenous person that might be listening to and hearing the message that we're teaching. And so Jasmine thinks of Lolita as perhaps that one. She shared um, salvation with her several times, the message of salvation, and others have shared the gospel. And she's hopeful that Lolita might rise up to be that one. As a missionary of many years, Robbie and I can tell you how encouraging it is when we go to events, funerals, marriages, when we see in social media people who, young kids that were in our Bible clubs that are now grown adults who have taken on that baton, who are leaders in ministry or uh, productive people in their communities. It is so encouraging to us and reassures us that that there's not a better way that we could have spent our, our lives and our time than investing in young people in our community. There are so many opportunities to do that through, um, through the, the ministries that we invest in here, through Bridge of Hope, through um, uh, the, the work that, um, uh, that Naz and Craig are doing, uh, just Dave, David and, and Mindy Fenska. If you're looking for a place where you can invest in young people, just, just ask, and there are, there are great opportunities. And perhaps you might see a Lolita raised up and one day take on that, that, uh, that, 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 that baton of, of, of leadership. We want to we just close by praying for um, Jasmine and, and the work that she is doing and uh, that God would continue to bless her in this ministry. God, um, I thank you for... Jasmine, what, a, what an amazing young woman she is, uh, living in the Sierra Tarahumaras in Mexico and ministering to a, a, a difficult community with challenging um, things like malnutrition and uh, infant mortality. Um, Lord, thank you that you have provided her eyes to see your grace in every instance. Thank you for providing for her through so many different ways and, and answering her prayers in a way that she gets to see you at work. And we pray that you would continue to do that, continue to provide every need in your special way. Uh, I pray that you would continue to provide Jasmine with a, a spirit of joy that overflows to her community that people in her community would recognize something special in her and they would continue to come to her um, as a messenger of, of your hope. Um, I, just, I just thank you. Thank you for Lolita, who you are raising up. We pray, Lord, that, that she and many others would become the ones that hear the message and receive it and uh, become your witnesses in their community. And so we just entrust you with that. Um, we look forward to how you will continue to work among the Tara Humara. Um, and we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Jerry, for that meaningful update. And we do, out of your regular giving to Grace Church, we do help support Jasmine. So thank you for investing in her ministry as you give financially right here. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, look on your Bible app or listen along. We are in Jesus' farewell discourse, it's called. He is saying, as it were, farewell to his disciples then, and certainly speaking also by the Spirit to disciples now. Kids, I want you to listen closely to what you're going to hear. Listen to how Jesus is preparing his disciples for what lies ahead. Listen to how he's going to prepare them for the difficulties they're going to face, okay? The challenges they're going to face, and the hope he gives them. It's a very hope-giving message in light of, in the face of, real challenges. So kids, please listen for that as Sung reads our passage. John, chapter 15, verse, um, chapter 15, verse 18 through chapter 16, verse 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it, declare it to you. The word of the Lord. What are your expectations for life in this world? Be more specifically, what are your expectations for the Christian life in this fallen world? A world opposed to God. That's how John, the gospel writer, uses the word world. A world in opposition to God, a world in rebellion to God, a moral order arrayed against God. What are your expectations for living in a world like that? Jesus here wants to shape our expectations, doesn't he? He tells us to expect this world to hate you like it did him. Chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me, hated me before it hated you. He goes on, I chose you out of the world, therefore, therefore the world hates you. He says, expect this world to persecute you, persecute you rather, persecute you, like it did him. Chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He says, expect, expect this world to reject you as it did him. Chapter 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Today, we would say, they will cancel you on Facebook. They will cancel you on Twitter and Instagram. You might lose your job or your friends or worse. Jesus goes on, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service, worship to God. How do you like that? These are the expectations Jesus provides for his people in a world opposed to God. He said this 2,000 years ago, and not much has changed. Clearly, our day is not unique in its challenges for the Christian. Carl Truman writes, quote, Every age... Every age has its darkness and its dangers. The task of the Christian is to not whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. So, no whining allowed about our own day, says Dr. Truman. Every age has its darkness and its dangers. No whining about the moment in which we live. 
Instead, understand the issues and respond appropriately to them. But how? How will you do that? Well, the most fundamental question you must ask is, where is God for you in light of these challenges? Where is God for you in your thinking, in your heart, in your worldview, as you face a hostile world and a hostile culture? It's really a question of, will you respond with fear or with faith? God, through this passage, is seeking to persuade you of the latter, to respond with faith, to live with faith toward Him, to specifically trust, trust the power and work of the Holy Spirit as you live in this world opposed to God. That's what God wants to persuade you of, to, to rightly engage to rightly engage a hostile world by trusting in, by relying on, by hoping in the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Let us see three reasons to do just that. Three reasons to respond with this Godward faith as we trust the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Reason number one, the Spirit witnesses to a hostile world. The Spirit witnesses to a hostile world. Jesus, early on here, explains why his people will face such hostility. He says in verse 19, chapter 15, verse 19, if you were, if you were of the world, if you belonged to this world, the world would love you as its own. But because, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He's saying hostility is inevitable because Jesus chooses a people to be his very own, belonging to God instead of this world. He delivers people out of this world that is opposed to God. So, let's just first pause for a moment. If you are a Christian, it would be a mistake to come away from this passage thinking you are morally superior to those who don't know Christ. Did you catch why you don't belong to the world? It says He chose you out of the world. He sovereignly acted to deliver you out of this world for disciples then and disciples now. So if you are a Christian, that is because of pure grace. So first of all, let us not, let us not misapply this passage. Let us not misapply the hostility I described or misunderstand. Let us not respond in self-righteousness if you belong to God, it is because of pure grace. But Jesus says, since you are not of this world any longer, this world will hate you. That's one part of the explanation. He goes on. Further, verse 21, all these things they will do to you on account of my name because, so here's another reason, because they do not know him who sent me. 
Now, if, if you are not a Christian, we are so glad you're here. We believe you're in the right place. We're delighted you would join us. And I am not, I am not trying to offend you today, I promise you, but I would like to serve you by challenging you with the words of Jesus Christ. He says you don't know God as you ought. And he goes on to say in verse 22, you have no excuse. So please just consider these words. On the final day, you will give an account to God. And Jesus Christ is saying, you won't have an excuse for not knowing God as you ought to have known him. So I want to urge you to turn to Christ even now as you listen to my voice today and trust in his life, death, and resurrection. But for the Christian, this is why, this is why relatives may ostracize you for following Christ, why co-workers may malign you, why fellow students may mock you for the heartbreaking reason, for the heartbreaking reason that they don't know God. So where's our hope? Where's our Godward trust in this circumstance? Please notice verse 26. But when the Helper comes, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, notice, He will bear witness about me, Jesus says. The Helper. Literally one who comes alongside, the counselor, you might say, the advocate, who performs the function that a counselor or advocate would have done in the ancient world, bears witness, testifies on behalf of the accused. And so the spirit of truth comes to the defense of Jesus, you might say, in this world. He bears witness, he testifies to the truth about Christ. And then Jesus tells them and us in verse 27, oh, and by the way, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And the sense there is, is not so much a prediction like I foresee that you guys will bear witness. The sense is more of a command. It is a sense more of you will Bear witness, thank you very much. You, you must bear witness through me. So keep these verses together. God, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness through their witness. Now, he did so uniquely, of course, through their apostolic witness, as indicated by this verse. But the Spirit certainly still does this today. You bear witness, you are to bear witness, and the Spirit of God bears witness through you. So, so think about this for a moment. We don't respond to a hostile world by hating right back. That famous verse in John's Gospel, John 3.16, we're told earlier, God so loved the world, a world in opposition to him, a world in rebellion to him. God so loved that world, he sent his son. Surely he wants nothing less from us 
than to love those around us. So we don't respond by hating back, and neither do we remove ourselves. We don't withdraw into monastic enclaves. As Jerry reminded us, we engage this world with hearts of love. We engage this world bearing witness to Jesus. And here's our hope. The Spirit of God is going to bear witness through our bearing witness. We're going to uh, take time for those who are available after the service to invite people to our Easter service that are here in the park. For those who are available, love to do that with you. I know the very thought can make my knees buckle a little bit. You know, my my mouth gets a little dry. You know, my heart rate goes up. That's uncomfortable. Do you feel that? Maybe you're thinking, there's no way, Tab, I'm going to do that. Not at gunpoint. Look, Jesus knew we would get afraid. So he promises here divine help, God the Holy Spirit bearing witness as we bear witness. That's a reason to trust the Spirit's work in a hostile world. Reason number two. Reason number two, the Spirit convicts a hostile world. The Spirit of God convicts a hostile world. World. Let's get a running start in chapter 16, verse 1. Verse 1, Jesus says, I have said all these things to you, notice, to keep you from falling away, to keep you from stumbling into sin. He tells them then after this that they will be put out of the synagogue, they will be rejected like that, and some people will think it an act of worship to kill them. So catch what he's saying here. It's better for you to die like that than to fall away from me. It's better to be killed. But I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He notes their sorrow in verse 6, and then he surprises them in verse 7. Look at verse 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Can't you imagine the disciples here protesting in their minds? What are you talking about? Now, at this point, they were street smart enough not to say this out loud. But Jesus, what are you, what are you talking about? To our advantage that you go away? It's for our good that you go away? That's not possible. You know, sometimes we can say, if only I lived then when Jesus walked the earth. And it's an understandable desire. If only I'd lived then, seen the miracles up close and personal. But Jesus is saying, no. It's better for you now on this side of my death, resurrection, and ascension because I have sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit of God. It's to your advantage. How? Well, look at verse 8. And when he comes, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit here opens eyes 
for the purpose of repentance. So this is a gracious work. Don't misunderstand. This is a merciful work. As the Spirit of God convicts of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 9. Concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me. So the Spirit graciously convicts of unbelief that people might turn to Christ believing. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Spirit of God convicts this world of its mistaken righteousness, its mistaken sense of morality. You see, a biblical morality is immoral to this world. To call sin, sin today is intolerance. It's bigotry. And certainly Christians can be bigoted. I'm not denying that. But a biblical morality is immoral, unrighteous to this world. Jesus is saying, since he, the teacher of righteousness, goes to the Father, the Spirit of God picks up the work and shows this world what truly is right and wrong in God's eyes. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is Judge, the Holy Spirit strips away the lies and deceit of the father of lies. He opens eyes to the truth, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life that people might find life in Christ. This is very hope-giving, friends. Ever think to yourself, yeah, I know I'm called to bear witness, But who's going to listen? I know I'm called to share the gospel, the good news. But no one's going to listen, Tab. Ever think that? Anyone not think that? (laughs) You don't need to raise your hand, but I'm going to lump you in with me here, I think. I think we all tend to think that way. I can think think that way. Yeah, I, I, I know I'm supposed to, but it's a hopeless task. Think about the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. Just prior to that, not long before that, the disciples had been huddling together in fear. The risen Christ appeared to them, said, wait in Jerusalem. He poured out the Spirit of God upon them. And then Peter boldly preached the good news. And in Acts 2, we're told, those who heard him were, quote, cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now think about that. Peter only had words. He could not touch the human heart. But they were, it says, cut to the heart. Why? Because the Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment that people might turn to Christ. And 3,000 people were saved that day. You and I just have words. I can't touch the heart. You can't touch the heart. But the Holy Spirit can. And often does. Often one life at a time. Sometimes 3,000 in one setting. Usually one life at a time. Last fall, I, I was with a friend of mine. And I just asked, hey, what's up? What's new? What's going on? 
And I think it's perhaps because he, I'm a pastor, he said, well, I've been reading the Bible a lot. And I said, what, what's going on? He said, well, I'm, I'm kind of on this quest for truth. I'm on a lifelong quest for truth. I'm reading religious works from a variety of religious traditions. And one of them is the Bible. So I said, hey, you know, my church has a little study to introduce people to Jesus or to let them see Jesus in one of the books of the Bible, the Gospel of John. Would you have interest? He said, that sounds perfect for me. I said, all right. So about every other week since the fall, we have been talking together, either in person or on the phone. And we covered our Simply Jesus study through the Gospel of John, which is available on our website. You can always download that. We went through that, finished that. He wanted to keep meeting. I said, cool. Now we're studying through the Gospel of Mark together. And I believe it was last week, we were on the phone studying Mark chapter 2, where these guys open a hole in a roof and let their paralyzed friend down into this crowded house. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven to the paralyzed guy. And after talking about this for a while, I said to my friend, do you see that you need Christ to forgive you as well? Here's an exact quote. Here's what he said. I do see that. I need Christ to forgive my sins. Now, since September, he's gone from a general quest for truth to I need Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. Why is that? It's not because of me. It's because the Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you believe that, friends? The Spirit convicts a hostile world. Do you believe that? If you do, it means prayer, doesn't it? It means a call to prayer. To pray for those around you that don't know Jesus. To pray for friends, relatives, who don't yet know Christ, that the Spirit of God would have this convicting ministry in their lives. Amen? That you would convict of sin and righteousness and judgment as only you can. Let me tell you, this is very freeing as well because it means you're not talking someone into the kingdom. It's not dependent on the, the persuasiveness of your argument, as important as that may be. It's on the Spirit of God at work. So we pray. We pray. Reason number three for why trusting the Spirit's work in a hostile world. Reason number three. The Spirit glorifies Jesus in a hostile world. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does countless things. But Jesus here isolates one particular ministry, a main mission of the Spirit, you might say, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, Jesus says. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That means, according to Don Carson, all the revelation bound up in Jesus' person and mission, being pressed home on these disciples. Might need those pages. All All the person and mission of Jesus being pressed home on the disciples. Now, certainly, these guys experienced this uniquely as they wrote the New Testament, okay? Without a doubt. And also without a doubt, this is still the Spirit's mission in the earth, primarily. It's why he bears witness to glorify Jesus. It's why he convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment, to glorify Jesus. So friends, in this mission, in this mission Christ gives us, it's not, it's not about us. It's not about us being right, though we have the truth of the gospel. It's it's not about us winning a debate. It's not about us owning an opponent. I hear this language. So-and-so owned that person. No, it's about God the Holy Spirit glorifying God the Son. That's what this is about. God the Holy Spirit bringing honor and praise to God the Son. Verse 14, He will glorify me. So let us trust in and rely on and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to that end. J.I. Packer, who's with Jesus now, he tells of preaching on those words in verse 14, He will glorify me. One evening... And he was walking to the church building, and as he turned the corner, he saw the church building lit up by floodlights. And he said, that is the perfect illustration for verse 14. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He acts like a floodlight, lighting up Jesus Christ, lighting up His glory, lighting up His majesty for the glory of our King. The Spirit, Packer says, the Spirit's main message is look at Him, Jesus. See His glory. Listen to Him. Hear His words. Go to Him and have life. He glorifies Jesus in this hostile world like that. We began by asking this fundamental question. Where is God for you as you face these challenges in our culture, these difficulties? Where is God for you in your worldview, in your thinking, in your heart? What what theology is functioning for you? More specifically, will you respond with fear or with faith? I hope you're seeing God persuading you to respond with faith, with trust, 
It's kind of like this. I, I read recently a book called The Vile and the Splendor. A Splendid. Maybe it's Splendor, actually. I think I have that wrong. About Winston Churchill during World War II. It was interesting to me. It brought home to me how Great Britain in the early parts of World War II was in a very precarious position. After the Nazi armies had taken the rest of Western Europe, it looked very bad for Great Britain. Great Britain was not prepared for this threat. They didn't have the airplanes, the tanks, the ships ready to handle this threat. And Churchill, in fact, Churchill, in fact, seemed to believe that Great Britain would inevitably lose without outside help. Now, he said they would die trying, and that was the brilliance of his leadership. But in response, he deliberately cultivated a relationship. He deliberately cultivated a relationship with one President Roosevelt. Churchill was very, very deliberate to cultivate a relationship with someone who could provide some profound outside help. And eventually, of course, that's what happened. Churchill knew on their own, on their own, it was a hopeless cause. But with a whole lot of outside help, ultimate victory was sure. That's what our situation is like. For the church of Jesus Christ, yes, left to ourselves in a hostile world, it's hopeless. But we're not left to ourselves. We're not on our own. We have the most amazing outside help available to us and, in fact, within us. And so we are told here to trust the power and work of the Holy Spirit for people will come to Christ and Jesus will build His church unstoppably. So, brothers and sisters, let us step out in faith with that in mind. Let us step out in faith, not hating back and not shrinking back, but engaging a lost world with the love of Jesus, with His hope. It might look like inviting that friend or neighbor to the Easter service or helping reach out today to people in the park as COVID begins to ease it's going to look like exercising hospitality again for your friends, neighbors, co-workers, etc. That's a profound way to show the love of Christ. Have people in your home. Testify of Jesus. Be a real, genuine friend. And as you encounter resistance, which you will, as you encounter rejection, which you will, trust the Spirit's power and work to bear witness through you, to convict in ways you can't, for in all things He is glorifying the Savior. Amen? I'll close with this. In the 16th century, John Calvin, the famous reformer, he, he wrote to some 
young French students who were in prison. They had met with Calvin briefly in Geneva. These guys were determined to go back to France despite the danger, despite the hostility against Protestants from the French king. These five young students went back to France. They were quickly discovered and they were arrested. News of their arrest reached Calvin. He wrote to them on a number of occasions, encouraging them to remain strong, to remain faithful, that he was praying for them. For about nine months, these young Protestant students were moved from dungeon to dungeon in France. Finally, they received word that they were to be executed. Calvin got this news, and he wrote to them one more time. Quote, It cannot but be that you feel some twinges of frailty. And doesn't that describe us pretty well? More than twinges of frailty in my case. It cannot be but that you feel some twinges of frailty. Yet, he says, be confident. I might say trust. Be confident that he whose service you are upon will so rule in your hearts by His Holy Spirit, by His Holy Spirit, that His grace shall overcome all temptations. And then Calvin says this, You must therefore keep this sentence in mind, that He who dwells in you is stronger than the world. Trust the Spirit's power, Trust the Spirit's work, I exhort you, keeping this sentence in mind. Go away today with this sentence in your mind. He who dwells in you is stronger than the world. Thanks be to God. With that hope in our hearts, let us take the Lord's Supper together, friends. Rick can come and those who are going to serve us the Lord's Supper. I hope you are feeling a, a rising confidence, a rising hope. It is to your advantage, Jesus said, that he went away. It is for our good that he died, rose, and ascended. For he has sent the Spirit of God, who wishes to minister to us even now, as we take the bread and the cup together.